Good evening. It is good to see all of you again. Welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We love new people at Hope. I want to start tonight by asking you a question. Uh, what, when I say the word radical, uh, what comes to mind? Some of you are like, that, right there, right? I would never be caught dead doing something like that. Maybe some of you are just queasy watching that a little bit. Well, when I say the word radical, what comes to mind? Just, you know, your gut reaction. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Most likely it's synonymous with uh, crazy or doing those types of stunts. Definitely extraordinary, maybe beyond limits. What does radical mean to you? What's your initial thought when I say radical? For some of you, it's one thing. For some of you, it's another thing. But when it comes to following Jesus... It's all fine if we're talking about, you know, riding bikes down the side of mountains for you to say, oh, I'm not, that's, it's definitely not me. But that gets really dangerous when we start talking about following Jesus. And what I want to propose to you tonight is that when it comes to following Jesus according to God's word, there is nothing ordinary about following him. Instead, as we look throughout the Gospels at what the life that Jesus invites us into, and particularly the way that that's lived out in the early church in the book of Acts, if you were just reading that with a complete uh, non-assumptions or preconceived ideas, if you were just reading that for what it is, I'll be honest with you, and I think you would say they were radical. It was radical to follow Jesus. Either you did or you didn't. And so tonight, we're actually kicking off a brand new series that's going to continue uh, tomorrow morning uh, at Centennial Park, but the series is called Five Leaps of Faith, Five Leaps of Faith, Radical Discipleship for Ordinary Christians. Everybody say radical. Radical. So not, we're not talking about like being radical, like, oh, to follow Jesus, I have to go you know, join the X Games or do extreme sports or join the Olympics or something like that. This is a very important series because... Well, here's the irony. None of you are ordinary. We're calling the subtitle here is Radical Discipleship for Ordinary Christians. And the reality is that radical should be normal, and none of you are ordinary, but we think we are. And so over the next five weeks, we want to paint a picture for you of how every single one of us is called to be radical when it comes to following Jesus. And yet, I'll be honest, some of you came here, you've had a nice relaxing evening, maybe you went out to eat or you're going to go out to eat afterwards and have a night on the town down here in Des Moines, and the last thing is you want to come to church and be told that you need to step it up or that you're not doing enough. What I am proposing tonight is that this is who God has created you to be. And so our goal in following Jesus is simply to discover who he says you already are. And that's a follower of him. And yet, some of us, we have these false ideas when I say following Jesus, or when I say being a part of a church, or when I say being a a Christian, some of us get these ideas that there's those crazy Christians, you know, like the ones that we just saw in the video, there's those types of Christians that are crazy and do crazy things for Jesus, like pray a couple hours a day and read their Bibles every day and go to worship every single weekend and actually like actually talk to their neighbors and invite them to church. I mean, just out there, crazy ideas, right? There's those people, and then there's regular old me Christian that just kind of comes and sits and listens to the sermon and is nice and polite and goes home and goes on with my life. We would never say that, but those are the assumptions that we make sometimes, and unfortunately, we don't all have an accurate view of what discipleship actually looks like if you go to Scripture, 
I've mentioned this before, but sometimes I just think it's so important because we live in such a, uh, a church culture. And what I mean by that is not that everybody goes to worship on the weekends, but at least everybody's familiar with Jesus. At least everybody's familiar with the Bible, and the danger in that is that we think we know. And so we're basing sometimes our faith on what we think we know rather than God's word. And so what if your view of discipleship tonight is not what actually Jesus did with his own disciples? What gives, right? So we want to dive into his word and understand what discipleship is all about. That maybe it's not about trying harder. That maybe it's not about just trying to be a good, nice, moral person. But it's anything but safe and it's anything but ordinary. I got a picture of this uh, a few uh, months ago. My wife Tiffany and I had the opportunity to be by uh, the sea um, in the Gulf of Mexico. And so there we are. It basically flows into the ocean, so I considered it the ocean. Uh, And so there we are. And usually, you know, people... People come, you know, vacation there from uh, everywhere, from all over, and you do a lot to get there. I mean, we drove our car to get to the bus, and we got the bus to get on a plane, then we got on another plane and connected to another plane, and we finally got there. And I would imagine others are like that too, and you finally make it to the beach, right? Has anybody ever just been to the beach, ocean, just any ocean, any beach, just to get a feel? Okay, so you kind of know what I'm talking about here. Everybody's there, and what I realized from our few days there is that there are basically two kinds of people when it comes to being on vacation at the beach. There are the wild and crazy ones, and then there are the ones, well, I'll get to them in a second. So there's the wild and crazy ones, and they are the ones that, there's people like parasailing. You ever seen people do that? Uh, So, you know, you think this is kind of crazy. So there's a single rope that has you up in a, 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 I don't know what you, parachute, that's the word I'm looking for, and you're up there and you're floating above the ocean, this boat's just pulling you, you know, from 500 yards in front of you, and you're blowing all around and they'll dip you down the ocean. There's people that are out on jet skis and, wow, you know, they're coming in and running back onto the beach going, wow, we got to do that again, and they're just, they're just loving it, and they're doing all these things, and they're, uh, they're playing volleyball on the beach, or they're swimming, or they're surfing, and they're just soaping, soaking it up, enjoying every minute. They're exhilarated. Uh, one couple got down and just came running onto the beach and went, wow! Oh, that was awesome. You know, they're just living it up. There's that group of people, and then the other group of people is on the beach in their lounge chairs like this. <laughs> I don't even need to say, right? You've all seen it, right? And I'm just as guilty of that as anybody. And they are on their phones. They are consumed and they are wrapped up in the same thing that they're consumed with and wrapped up with here at home. Now, Just hear me say this. I have nothing against smartphones. I use mine a lot. But the reality is that I've discovered, and maybe you've discovered this as well, the danger is is that it can pull you in. And we become completely uh, less observant and less present to the people that are around us and the things that God wants to show us. And so a part of me, I'm just, I'm watching all this And then, so Tiffany and I are kind of somewhere in the middle. We did some of that. We went wild and crazy, and then we relaxed for a while. But the people that were in the lounge chairs just on their phones, I, like, never saw them actually look up at the ocean. Like, the waves are coming in. It's beautiful. There's palm trees. Everything you could ever want, and their entire world is right here. And maybe they just wanted to relax, and it's fine with it, but there was a part of me that was just wanted, to, just wanted to scream, don't you see what's in front of you, right? I just wanted to scream, open your eyes. Don't you see what's, what's being offered right in front of you? It's paradise. 
And I wonder if when it comes to following Jesus, Jesus wants to tell us the same thing. He said, I am offering you the ocean. I am offering you this life that we discover in the kingdom in Scripture, full of adventure and beauty and sometimes difficulty, but it is worth it. I am offering you a rich and satisfying life full of exhilaration and passion and a joy that's way bigger than you. And Jesus says, be radical, not ordinary. Are you living small tonight? When it comes to following Jesus, has your view and your experience of being a part of a church and following Jesus, is it the first group or is it the second group? What is your experience with Christianity? So often we limit our experience of Jesus to coming to a building once a week and maybe we hear a good sermon and we get emotional or we get all you know, shook up and we hear some good songs and then we go back and we continue to live in a much smaller story. And God says to you tonight, there is so much more. You didn't become a Christian to live a small life, did you? Like, we don't go through the motions here every week because this is just like, well, we feel like we should, right? We feel like there's nothing more important than what we're doing here. Like, I, I don't take this for granted. It's an honor and a privilege to stand up and talk to you for a few minutes every single week because there's nothing else that could be more important. Just like you don't come to the beach to sit on your phone, I hope that you come every week with a sense of anticipation that there's nothing more important that we could be talking about than Jesus and experiencing him the way that he was meant to be experienced. So it's time to see a bigger picture, and it starts, and we're kind of setting the stage for our next sermon series here by redefining and revisiting discipleship and laying a new foundation for what it might look like to follow Jesus. And so tonight we're going to start actually in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have these Bibles or any Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your phone, that's fine too. We would love for you to follow along. So Ephesians chapter 4, and we're actually going to start at verse 11. It's in the very, very back of your Bible. So Paul is writing here to the church in Ephesus, and he is reminding them and reminding them what is the goal of our Faith. So Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 11. If a few of you are there, say, I'm there. I'm there. we got a few people there. All right. So verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now verse 12, to do what? To equip his people, so that's all of us, for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be what? Built up. Everybody say, built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Everybody say mature. Mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So if you look closely, we'll discover that Paul actually just comes right out and says it. What is the goal of our faith, of everything that we do as a church? What is the goal of Christianity? It is becoming mature. Okay, we talked about this a little bit last week too. So it's not staying where we're at, but it's moving forward. So the next question is, what does it mean to be mature? Okay, so look at verse 13. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, we are becoming people who are increasingly thinking and feeling and acting like Jesus. We, another way of saying that is, we have the character of Christ and we have the competency of Christ. We can start doing the things that Jesus asked us 
to do, not only as individuals, but as the church. It says, until we all reach unity. It doesn't say there's like some mature people up on the stage or the people up on stage are the ones that read their Bibles and then disseminate that information out to the lowly spectators in the audience. That's not biblical at all. It says until we all reach unity. So the goal for every single one of us is to become mature individually and that makes us mature as a whole. That's what it means to be a healthy church. Okay? So, three things we learn from this passage. Number one, the purpose of our faith of this whole church thing is to go on to maturity. Number two, maturity means looking more and more like Jesus. And number three, growing in our faith or growing up is not optional. All of us means all of us, not just for pastors or church staff or if you have time or if it's convenient for you or if you're in that season of life. We are all called to go on to maturity. And the fancy church word for everything that I just said that Paul's talking about is discipleship. Discipleship. And that's a word we use a lot here at Hope Des Moines, so let me unpack that so that as we go throughout the sermon series, we understand what we are talking about. In the New Testament, the Greek word that most of the New Testament was written in uh, for disciple is called methetes. Everybody say methetes. Methetes. Oh, say it like you mean it. Methetes. All right, get excited, Greek scholars. Okay, here we go. So the word literally means learner or pupil. Okay, learner or pupil. So methetes. I am a methetes of Jesus. This word is used, get this, a whopping 268 times in the Bible. Okay, that's a lot, by the way. That's a lot if you do some comparative studies, okay? The word Christian which many of us throw around, and there's a lot of assumptions about what that means, too. Can you guess how many times the word Christian is used in the entire Bible? Three. 268. (laughs) Three. For the record, how often is stuffy religious person used in the Bible? (laughs) Goose egg, right? Okay. Makes you stop and think. Christianity is a call to be a pupil, a learner, a disciple, a student of Jesus. So a disciple of Jesus is a person that is apprenticing Jesus. They're reorienting every aspect of their life around him. So Luke 6.40 puts it this way. I'll throw this together up on the screen so you don't have to hop over there quick. Let's read this together. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So Jesus is saying, just in any other area of life, there is a teacher-student relationship, and the same is true in our faith. So if, if being a disciple is being a learner, a pupil of Jesus, he's the goal, he's the object of our faith, where a lot of times we, we, we say, how many Bible studies have I gotten through this year? Do I have perfect church attendance? <laughs> have I read the latest Christian novel out there? Have I downloaded the latest hit Christian song? Have I gone to enough Christian concerts? You go down the list, okay? None of that's in Scripture. What is in Scripture is that a disciple is not measured primarily by how much information they know or how many groups or programs you attend or how young or old or inexperienced you might be. Discipleship or spiritual growth is measured by one question. Does my life look more and more like Jesus. That's it. And everything else falls underneath that. Methetes. Am I an apprentice 
of Jesus. Take it a step further. Does my small group look more and more like Jesus? The people that I'm working with, do, do, my, do my neighbors, am I effectively reaching out, whatever it is, it makes you stop and think, okay? So essentially what we're saying is we have the opportunity to be in a relationship with the God of the universe by becoming like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is the invitation of a lifetime. That is like the invitation to stand on the beach and go running into the ocean, and most of us say, no thanks. I think I'll find my adventure right here. Nothing against smartphones. The ocean is at your fingertips. A life with Jesus is at your fingertips. It's parasailing over the ocean. Don't miss the opportunity. So if we grow in our faith by becoming more and more like Jesus, it might be good to understand how Jesus did it. How do you actually live as a disciple. For some of you that have taken uh, our core class uh, that's coming up again here this fall, some of this is going to be a little refresher, but it's important as we go through these next four weeks in our sermon series together. How exactly do we become a disciple of Jesus? It's just good to have a little refresher and a little reminder. So some of you have seen this, some of you haven't. I'm a shapes guy, and it's really easy to learn through Shapes. When we look at the life of Jesus, so if you're keeping score at home and writing, I'm going to give you three big words I want you to remember tonight. The first way, when Jesus called these 12 guys to follow him, the first way that he did it was through information. Everybody say information. So info, all right? So if you haven't learned, this is an interactive thing. I'm not just talking to you. We're in on this together, right? Jesus taught a lot how many scriptures start with, and Jesus was teaching, or Jesus was in the synagogue, or Jesus was on the hillside, or wherever he was. Jesus taught primarily about the kingdom of God. Secondly, another I word, Jesus discipled them through imitation. Everybody say imitation. So we have information and imitation. Jesus called his disciples to follow him. And last but not least, it didn't end there. Jesus said, go and do the same, right? Go and make Disciples, right? That's the great commission. And so the last I word is innovation. Everybody say innovation. innovation. So we've got the three I's. It makes it easy to remember that way. So let's take them one at a time. We start with information, okay? So Matthew chapter 5, we arrive on the scene and it says, Now Jesus saw the crowds and on up on a mountainside, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he proceeds to give the Sermon on the Mount. So we have a teacher to students, a transfer of information, Right? And this is how Jesus spent some of his time, of his three years of ministry here on the earth. And don't get me wrong, I want you to hear me say this, information or learning knowledge about the Bible and becoming more knowledgeable and wise is very, very important. That's why pastors go to seminary. That's why people take Bible classes. That's why we encourage you to take classes, because we learn. But that's one of the ways, one of the ways that we learn. For many of us, when we think about our experience of spiritual growth, so anything beyond Sunday morning, or even if you want to throw Sunday morning in there, right? What are we doing right now? What corner of the triangle are we doing right now? Information, right? Primarily, you don't, you don't know how I live on Wednesday afternoon, right? I might just be a jerk, right? You can't imitate me, right? And I don't know some of you well enough to know if you're actually doing something with what I'm telling you. Most of what we can accomplish here on the weekend is information. I'm telling you about Jesus, and that's very, very important. And a lot of you, that's what it's been. It's been Bible studies. It's been classes. It's been small groups. It's been weekend worship or learning from a pastor or whatever it is. But for a lot of us, 
our spiritual experience ends right there. And Jesus, for Jesus, that was only one aspect of following him. For something to stick, you got to do it. You can't just learn about it. I was thinking about that this week, and how many of you remember driver's ed? Or how many of you are going through that right now with your kids, right? Okay, so three people in this room know how to drive, so we must have had a bus or something. How many of you remember driver's ed? Even a long time ago. Okay, one commonality here, right? I was terrible at driver's ed. I read the cover manual, uh, cover to cover. I mean, I read that thing. I knew it by heart. And, I, and so back in my day, which was a long time ago, uh, back in my day when I turned 16, we, there was a written test and then there was a driving test, okay? Ace the written test on the computer. Boop, 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 no problem. How far you should be? What color sign? Yada, yada, yada. Got it. No sweat, right? So on my birthday, the day you can do it, the day after my birthday, it snows, a lot. It's November in Iowa, okay? And it's snowing, and it's one of those snows where they didn't get to all the roads, and some cars got out first, and they pack it down with the tires, and then the snow and the medians happen to be around the same height. So let's say you're a novice driver, and you're a 16-year-old punk, and you're learning how to drive, and you've got a cop you know, sitting next to you, and you're out there doing your driving test, and all of a sudden, I'm doing pretty well, put on my turning signal, I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, the car goes, and then we go, and the DOT, the cop sitting next to me goes, do you know you're driving on the median? Now I do. And I hence flunked the test, completely flunked it. That was my first driving test. It took me three more times, but that's besides the point. I'm a great driver now. Driving tests are overrated, right? Why didn't it work? I aced the written test. I knew everything about up here. I had the knowledge. Why didn't it work? I didn't, I didn't spend a lot of time driving. Duh, right? If you're going to learn how to do something, you cannot replace personal experience. And sitting in a chair listening to somebody talk, like I did in driver's ed that past summer, was not sufficient. Great but not sufficient. So what I did to eventually pass the test is every day my dad and I went out in our brown, ugly, Subaru family station wagon, and I learned how to drive in parking lots and in side roads in the country, and my dad would say, stop, slow down, take it easy, let up on the clutch a little bit, now take a left, whoop, too fast, slow down, speed up a little bit, now you can merge, right? I had somebody right next to me that I was imitating. And that brings us to the next aspect of Jesus' discipleship. He was right there with his disciples. Jesus knew that if the information was going to stick, it had to be lived out in front of the disciples. So if you have your finger uh, where it is, flip over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. So back to the Gospels. And we're going to go back almost to the beginning of the story. How did this all start? Matthew chapter 4. He couldn't make disciples from a distance. Jesus couldn't send another decree down because the Ten Commandments, well, that didn't work so well, right? <laughs> Basically, the Old Testament is the story of God's people not obeying what was written down, the information. And so Jesus says, well, I'm just going to come to you then. And right away in his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, uh, it's recorded that this happens, verse 18. It says that Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake for they were 
first fisherman. Just so you know, nothing is more ordinary than fishermen. Okay? Just like these are like construction workers, okay? It's a blue-collar job. It's, it takes a lot of uh, courage, but there's nothing flashy about it, okay? They don't get a lot of praise. It's just ordinary people. Jesus says, come, follow me. I, want, I just want you to think about that. Sometimes we just read Scripture and we're like, yeah, I've heard it before. What if Jesus walked in here tonight? And sat down next to you and said, wow, these are comfy for folding chairs. And Jesus sat down next to you and he looked you in the eyes. And he said your name out loud. And then he said, I want you to follow me. And then he just walked out those doors and he said, are you coming? Would you go? Would you say, "Uh, I got dinner plans first or... I'm a little scared about where this, like, you got to give these guys credit. They dropped their nets, it says, and they followed him. Or would you say, I, Jesus, I'd rather just go to church and learn about you. I don't really actually want to learn from you and walk with you and have to be next to you and all these terrible things are going to happen. I'd rather play it safe. Jesus says, I want you to imitate every single aspect of my life. In Jesus' day, Methetes was not an in-class student. Methetes was somebody that reoriented their entire life around a certain goal. That's why they called him rabbi. Disciples would follow rabbis, and Jesus was a rabbi, and they would follow him and do whatever he did. Imitation. Just as if you wanted to become a world-class athlete, you would need to reorient your life. Think about Michael Phelps, right? Any Olympics fans? Anybody been watching the Olympics? Oh, my goodness, right? Isn't this exciting? Just incredible, right? Now, Michael Phelps has had his ups and downs, but the reality is he's the greatest Olympian of all time, and did he get that way by reading a book about the breaststroke, right? How would you like to be in surgery and look up at your doctor, hope you did this ahead of time, and say, hey, how many heart surgeries have you done? He said, well, I read a book about it once in college. (laughs) You want somebody that's been there, and that's the power of imitation. If you're going to learn how to be a world-class swimmer, you probably want to follow Michael Phelps around, not just an hour a day, but his entire diet, his sleep schedule, how he spends his time, his priorities are all geared around swimming. Replace that with becoming like Jesus. That's what we're talking about. That's the adventure of Christianity. And so we are called to do that now to one another. Now it makes sense. The beginning of Jesus' story starts with, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you disciples who make disciples. The end of the Gospels, the last thing Jesus says is, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Are you catching on a theme here? If you bookend something, that means this is really important. Don't miss this. Being radical is normal. Following Jesus is Normal. So Jesus invites us to do the same. Go and make disciples, which leads us to the last one, which is innovation. Go and do the same. So my question for you, just straight up, is number one, who are you apprenticing these days? We talked about Michael Phelps. Well, that's not possible. But who looks and acts and feels and and lives like Jesus that you're modeling your life after? Do you have like a real-life tangible example? Is there somebody in your life you can follow? And the second question is, who are you discipling? 
We are called to be disciples who make disciples. Both. Who are you apprenticing and who is apprenticing you? That's Christianity. Everything else we do is funneling you to that point. Okay? Just so you know, full disclosure. Everything here at Hope, everything is to get you in a place where you're increasingly looking like Jesus. That's the point. That's why we do everything that we do. So no matter how unqualified you feel, never underestimate the power of imitation to get the job done. I realized this this past week. I got a letter a few weeks ago from a current staff member up at Riverside Bible Camp where I worked for for eight summers and then for two years uh, year-round. And he's actually the assistant program coordinator there now. So he's kind of one of the main guys in charge. And uh, we'll, we'll just call him Brian. That's not his real name, but we'll just call him Brian. So he wrote me a letter, just out of the blue, just a little thank you note. And it says this. Dear John, this may be unexpected, but I was just thinking about what I'm thankful for this time of year. This is as camp was starting. And he says, I, I want you to know that you came to mind. You may not remember, but when I was a freshman in high school, I came to Riverside for the first time and you were my counselor. I was basically drugged here by my parents because church was kind of a drag. And then as the week went on, I watched you get so fired up about your faith, and I realized it really wasn't all that bad. In fact, I left that week thinking, someday, maybe I could work at Bible camp. It made me realize that maybe I could be cool and have lots of fun and love Jesus all at the same time. I had lots of fun and I loved Jesus, but I was not cool, I will tell you that. And he says, thanks for being part of the reason that I work at this camp today. Like that was just out of the blue. And full disclosure, pastors are insecure a lot. And we worry if we are making an impact at all. And here's the crazy thing. I don't remember anything that I said that summer. <laughs> I'm sure we did some Bible studies. I'm sure I told them a lot of information about Jesus, but I don't remember any of it. Here's what I remember. We spent a lot of time in the pool. We spent a lot of time pulling them out of the woods, chasing girls. We spent a lot of time walking together. We spent a lot of time uh, Johnny Fiving cabins where you go up to him in the middle of the night and bang. We All these things. I was a great counselor, as you can tell. We spent a lot of time together. They knew me. Like, we sweated. We sweat together. We stunk. We did everything together. And that was just a week, and he writes me that note. He's in his mid-20s now, and this is his freshman year of high school, and he's remembering this. The power was in walking shoulder to shoulder in relationship. And obviously that's not the only thing that brought him to where he was, but he was a part of it. And some of you are thinking, okay, that's nice, John. That's a cute, you know, story from Bible camp, you know, and everything. But you're a pastor. Like, that's what you do. I wasn't a pastor at the time. I was a 19-year-old punk college kid that had no clue what he was doing. Leading freshman boys in their faith. And yet God works through us. And I just wonder through your insecurities, past your fears, how many Brians are out there? 
You don't even have to go to Bible camp to do this. Like this is on a platter for you every single day of your life if you will accept Jesus' invitation to make disciples. I didn't do anything extraordinary, but with God working through us, you could call it radical. And that's the third aspect of how Jesus calls us to follow him. You skip ahead to John chapter 14 and you start to see it's all about innovation. Jesus is modeling this life for him and then here comes the kicker. John 14 verse 12. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus says, not only are you going to do what I did, like pray for people on the spot and heal people on the spot and witness to people and have them come to faith and be bold with your faith and have courage. Like you're going to do greater things than that. Mind blown, right? This is Jesus talking. That's a crazy statement. Jesus says, I don't want you to just admire me. I want you to do what I did. Like you can actually do this. Radical discipleship for people that think they're ordinary, but you're not. In Acts 3, here's Peter and John, two ordinary fishermen, and they're walking up to the temple, and a man who is crippled and lame reaches up and asks them for money. That's his presenting issue, and yet they see into the situation, they say, you know what, we're just a couple poor followers of Jesus here, and we don't have anything to give you, but I remember that when we walked around with this Jesus guy and we imitated him that like he would just like pray for people or just like in the name of Jesus like declared that they could be healed and so like well let's give it a try we got nothing to lose and so Peter says in the name of Jesus Christ stand up and walk and he grabs the guy's hand he's been crippled his whole life and he starts walking and sometimes I wonder if we just play it so safe in the church and sometimes I wonder if we just say ah I'm just going to come and kind of just take in some information and then go home Like, we can really do this, you guys. We can really do this. Men, women, students, kids. We can do this. People will say about that story of Peter and John, that's radical. What did I say about fishermen a few minutes ago? Ordinary. Blue collar. Ordinary. Information, imitation, innovation. Looking more like Jesus. And that's exactly what's happening around here. You, you want to see some examples. Last weekend, we partnered with Celebrate Recovery, Hope Des Moines worked together. 55 people were baptized in one afternoon at the river. Can we give God praise for that? Like, stuff's happening, right? I just, I've been in the church my whole life, and I know how excited churches get when they get like one or two adult baptisms a year. And that's not anything against, that's what I grew up with. That was the norm. 55 people like saying, God, I want to follow you. I want to be your methetes. I want to be your uh, apprentice. And then now all of a sudden this imitation is happening and they're getting connected in community. And then we just start to see this stuff happen. You filled up 150 backpacks for local kids that just filled up our lobby and it was a mess. And I got to see him being delivered to, to, to Moulton Elementary, to, to, to Edmonds Elementary, and just see the teachers and the administration go, whoa, why are you doing this? Well, we just saw Jesus do it. And so now we're just going and doing it in our context. 
The other night, I said, you know, we're going to continue to do this Wids Kids program. And so we have this meeting here at the church. And whenever I say we're going to have an info meeting, I'm like, oh, Lord, please help there be more people than the people that are leading it that actually show. You know, could five people come maybe? Slowly but surely, people kept coming in the door. And we were up in that room up there, which holds about 15, 20 people. 35 people showed up for the Wiz Kids informational meeting. Like, how cool is that, right? God is working in people's lives. I didn't go and say, you have to come to the meeting. Guilt, pressure. I said, this is what God's doing. Do you want to join him? Do you want to help us innovate and do what he's been doing and love kids? Because that's what Jesus modeled for us. Let's go do it. Let's do Wiz Kids. I'll be there. Just overwhelmed by the response. Maybe for some of you, innovation looks like, I'm going to start a small group this fall. God's given me some skills and I can do it. Maybe I don't have the skills. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to go innovate. I'm going to start a small group. I want to help help teach a class. I want to start inviting my friends to worship just naturally. It's just, just what I do. It's just who I am. Because you're imitating Jesus. And I want to leave you with this question today as you look at that. What aspect of following Jesus do you need to grow in? You know, I talked about the later two, but for a lot of you tonight, you're just getting started in your faith. And as we head into a new school year, why don't you go back to school with Jesus? It's not just for the kids. Mathetes. Some of you, you just need to read the Bible. You need to start in the Gospel of John this week. I just dare you. Read two chapters of John this week. Start learning about Jesus, the information about him and his kingdom. For some of you, you have been living here your entire adult life. And God is saying, get in relationship. You can't learn things unless you're doing them and you're walking beside people. And for some of you, it's time to go. It's time to make disciples. It's time to lead. It's time to do stuff, to do the things that Jesus did. You can do this. What aspect of discipleship is Jesus calling you to grow in? What's one step you can take this week? I'm going to inquire about leading a small group. I'm going to register for a class. I'm going to talk to somebody that could possibly disciple me. I'm going to initiate a relationship with somebody that I feel like God's leading me to mentor. If we're not doing this, we're not being a church after Jesus' own heart. What is he calling you to do in response to his love? I just want you to take a second. If you have your bulletin, if you still have that part, just jot down a few notes or just pause right now. And before we run away and get all busy, just ask, God, what are you telling me tonight? What struck a chord? What hit home? What's my next step? God, what are you calling me to do? Just pray that that question just rattles around in your mind tonight for a while and this week. He's calling you back. He's calling you back to be his disciple. Let's stand. Let's pray together. So Jesus, we thank you for this call, and we thank you that radical can be normal. (laughs) That there is nothing beyond you. You're the God that can move mountains. You're the God that can heal. You're the God that can change people's lives. You're the God that can get our finances back together. You're the God that can heal marriages and parent-child relationships. You're the God that can calm the storms and you can calm stress and fear in our lives. There is nothing beyond you. And so we just say as your followers tonight, 
we want to be right beside you. So Jesus, would you make that very clear tonight that you are right here with us. You've never been closer. That your hand is right on our shoulder, giving us the confidence saying, you can do this. I created you to follow me every single day, not just on Saturdays and Sundays. Every day, you can do this. Follow me. Learn from me. And then let's go do it. Let's go be the church. Jesus, thank you for your love, for your love that compels us to action. We love you, and we pray all of these things in your name. And all God's people said together, amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight. We'll see you next week or tomorrow morning. God bless you.